Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Now, what a powerful reminder this morning, wasn't it? That we are no longer slaves to fear. We have a God who loves us. Those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus Christ are brought into the family of God. Can we say a hearty amen to that truth? I tell you, without that, I don't know where we would be. Uh, we wouldn't be in a good place, that is for sure. But I do want you to know this. We're in a brand new series, and it's only a two-weeker, so it's going to be over quick. We're quick in and quick out. Uh, and we're talking about friends, but not just friends, but in the series it's called Friendology, and we're looking at spiritual friends. Uh, I hope you guys, some of you at least, got to enjoy the fair this week. Anybody get to enjoy the fair at all this week? Yeah, that's cool. Ride some rides? Probably not, maybe, I don't know. No, no rides. You're like, I don't want me neither. Uh, I, we went last night, went to the demo derby. It was awesome. It was awesome because of a few things. It was awesome because I didn't know exactly where to sit, but I was about just a row back behind where the mud was being flung at all the people. <laughs> so that was pretty neat. And it was like right in front of us. And I wanted a souvenir, but it just never came my way. But it was a good time and we really enjoyed it. The, the thing I didn't necessarily enjoy was, was some of the food choices that I, I indulged in. As soon as Gracie and I got there, we, I went in and I was like, I just want a corn dog. I don't know why I wanted a corn dog, but I did. And then I got a corn dog, but it was burnt. It was just a little too crispy. You know what I mean? It's like whatever the breading was, the breading was like adhered to the hot dog in not a good way. So I ate it and I was like, this is really neat. This is a grease dog. I'm getting to enjoy this thing. <laughs> so I ate, the, I ate that and then, and then that was okay. And we went and watched some of the demo. And then, you know, one of the things I know about me is sometimes I can compound a bad idea with another bad idea. So then later on in the night, I was a little, a little hungry. So I was like, I just want like a Polish dog. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it, you know, it's like you just go all in. So then I, I'm eating this, this Polish dog, and about halfway through it, my stomach's rumbling, and it's like, another bad choice, Chad, really? Another bad choice? And I finished eating it because I'd paid for it, you know what I mean? So that's what you do. So, so, so then I, I, I ate the Polish dog, then on top of the corn dog, and, and again, my stomach was rumbling a little bit, and, and I'll spare any other details, but, uh, you know, nothing, nothing gross or weird. Maybe, I don't know. But the, the, here's the thing. It's like sometimes I can actually not make the best decisions when it comes to me. Sometimes I think that I know what's best for me because it's based upon maybe what I want or what I like. And yet uh, there's other times where I just wish somebody was tapping me on the shoulder and say, Hey, friends don't let friends eat fair food. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's like sometimes there's, there's these moments in our life to where I, I may think that I want to do the right thing and I think I'm doing the right thing, but yet I'm not actually doing the right thing. And we need someone who's going to step aside or maybe come alongside of us, tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, is that really the best thing for you? Is that really the best thing for who God wants you to be? Is that really the best thing for your marriage? Is, is that really the best thing for the way that, that you're trying to raise your kids up in a godly way? Is that really the best thing for the future of your family? You see, sometimes we, we, may, we, we may in ourselves think, oh, we have all the answers, and yet what happens? Then the, the future actually unfolds of decisions that we made, and maybe it wasn't the best decision for us. 
If we were to have spiritual friends, wouldn't it be amazing if we had spiritual friends, people who were, who were locking arms with us, who believed like us, who were going on the same path as us, and these people would walk alongside of us, that they had the freedom to tap us on the shoulder and say, is that really the best thing for you? Because sometimes what we think is the best thing for us is not actually the best thing for us. Sometimes the thing that we think is the best thing for us is just built on a temporary desire or maybe a longing that we have in that moment. And we don't think of things in the long run. And if we had spiritual friends to tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, that is going to change the trajectory of your life. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing to know that we have people who are, who are just willing to look out for us? in any and every moment, who are maybe with us to the very end. Heard a story recently, and the story was written in 2011, so I, I don't know if it's factual or not, but there's a, there's a hidden truth here that I think connects into us as people of God. And the, the story traces its, its lineage back to World War I. So picture, if you will, there's trench warfare, there's a trench of, uh, of the... Uh, Americans on one side, the, the, the good side on one side, and then the enemies on the other side of the trench. And yet, there, so there's, there's this individual who's a private next to a lieutenant. The lieutenant's in charge, and the private is sitting there next to this lieutenant, and they're in dire straits, and they're looking across the trench, and there, so there's just bullets just whizzing over their head on the other side. And then the private happens to look out in the middle ground in between the two trenches, and he realizes that his lifelong friend is laying out in the middle of this battle zone. Well, the private knows that his friend is out there, and he thinks that his friend may be alive, but he's not really sure that his friend's alive. They both enlisted in the same day. They both went to boot camp the same day. They both found themselves in the same company the same day, and now they found themselves in a war zone on the same day. And you have one fallen comrade who's in the middle of the, of the the battleground here in between these two trenches, and the, the bullets are whizzing over, and the private looks to his lieutenant, and he says, Lieutenant, I want, to go get, I want to go get my friend. The lieutenant looks at the private, and he says, well, if you go out there, you're just going to die. Like, that is a death mission to go out there. And he says, and besides, your friend's probably dead anyway. So the private sits, and he's deliberating for just a minute, and he, he's looking in between the, the, the muzzle flash. He kind of looks out, and he sees his friend. He looks at the lieutenant, and he takes off anyway. And he runs out in the middle of this war zone. Bullets are whizzing over his head, but he's slunched over. And he goes and he finds as he gets to his friend. And he throws his friend up on his shoulder. And then he climbs up over that trench. And he gets back into the trench with his friend. And then what happened in that moment was a startling thing. Because the lieutenant looks at, at the fallen comrade who was in the middle of the battleground. And he says, see, I told you, he's dead. It was a waste of time. The private looks at his lieutenant. He says, well, no, lieutenant. It wasn't a waste of time. He says, I told you that it would be worth it. Lieutenant says, well, how is it worth it? Your friend is dead. And he says, and you actually just, look at your leg. You actually just caught a bullet wound on your way back. He says, it was worth it. He says, what do you mean worth it? He said this. He says, yes, sir, it was worth it. Because when I got to him, he was still alive. And I had the satisfaction of hearing these words, Jim, I knew you'd come. And he died on his way back to the trench. 
You see, we hear stories like this, and if you have any sort of patriotic bone in your body, there's, there's something in you that revs up to say, yes, I'm part of this, I'm part of these people, we're Americans, and that's it. But I think that there's a deeper story here that connects into us, not just because of America. I think there's a deeper part of this that connects into our story as people of God because of scriptures like John 15, 13, where it says, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. I think that there's a, there's a deeper thread woven through our faith story that's, that's even deeper than the red, white, and blue and the stars and stripes and the story of, of, of a battleground and war and two friends. I think there's something more compelling there because that's actually a picture of our faith, is it not? That's actually a picture of our faith because we of us who are followers of Jesus Christ have come to this understanding that we were the ones who were fallen in between the two trenches and we were dead in our sins and we were, we were so caught up in our shame and we had no way of being right with God and yet Jesus is the one who stepped into that war zone, stepped into the war zone that is earth, right? That is the world. And as he came down, the gospel message is, is such a satisfaction to the soul because it was Jesus who did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, Because greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. That Jesus would do that for us. And that, would he, that he would call us his friends, which is astounding to me. That he, being God and the king, invites us into being his friends, not as an equal to Jesus, but as more of somebody who, who is a companion of the king, but who still understands that they are under the rule and reign of that king. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says this, If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. What we're going to talk about in this series are spiritual friendships. We could talk about friendships. There's all kinds of great attributes into normal friendships. And we ought to have a lot of just normal friendships, friendships with people who are, who are in Christ, and also we can have fellowships with, uh, and we can have friendships, rather, with people who are not in Christ. That's okay. That's okay. But what we're talking about specifically are spiritual friendships. So let me help you to define what that is to see where we're going. The basis of spiritual friendship is a shared relationship with Jesus Christ. This is, the, the, I think, the most defining thing about a spiritual friendship. It's two people who are partnered together because they have experienced the love and grace of God. So now they're working shoulder to shoulder to, to help one another grow in Christ's likeness. And it's based upon their shared relationship with Christ. It's not based upon what they like. It's not based upon the, the team that they root for. It's not based upon... A, the neighborhood they live in, all those things are great to have other sorts of friendships and acquaintances, but a spiritual friendship is different because it's, it's built upon the very basis of it is a shared relationship with Jesus Christ. So what's the purpose of spiritual friendship? The purpose of spiritual friendship is a common commitment to help one another grow in Christ-likeness. The purpose is, is this common commitment to help one another grow in Christ-likeness. 
So it's one to the other saying, hey, I'm here. We're going to grow to be more like Christ day by day. And you're going to help me and I'm going to help you. It's a shared commitment. And it's a common commitment to help one another grow. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of conversations that are had around friends and maybe people who think that they don't have friends. And they say, well, I would love to have a, a spiritual friend. And you, maybe you're just kind of waiting and you're just kind of postured. And maybe even over time, the posture of your heart is, you know what? Nobody wants to be my friend. Maybe what we ought to do is not take a posture of, of folding our arms and, and kind of closing out the world to wait for somebody else to be our friend. Maybe what it is is for us to take a step forward and to say, I'm not going to wait for somebody to be my friend. I'm going to be a friend. You see, that's different. Because if you have that kind of posture, you're not waiting for something to happen. You're not waiting for somebody to step into your life. Instead, you're saying, no, I'm willing to step into somebody else's life. And then we posture ourselves in such a way to then look around to see who is trying to grow like we're trying to grow so that we can become in partnership with them. When we choose to go through life without spiritual friendships, we choose a path that sacrifices both character and integrity. That's what happens when we choose to go through life without spiritual friendships. We're essentially choosing a path that sacrifices both character and integrity. We're going to find a lot of inspiration from Proverbs in, in this short series because there's so many individual Proverbs that speak into friendships, and I've, I've kind of cherry-picked a couple of those. But to help you understand what Proverbs is about, let me just share this with you, and this will be on the screen. The purpose of the book of Proverbs, then, is to develop in others especially the young, a wise, skillful approach to living, which begins with being properly related to the Lord. It's, it's a collection of writings, individual writings. Some of them tie in. Some, are, some have repetitive themes. But the Proverbs are there for us to have these sticky sayings that we can apply to our life. And specifically for those who are either young in age or just immature in their walk with God, so that we can apply these things, and it's a skillful approach to living a life that pleases God as we're trying to be on the same path as the God wants us to be on. So again, we'll find a lot of inspiration with this. The first takeaway this morning is this. Spiritual friendships are formed by the love of God. Spiritual friendships are formed by the love of God. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I've always been kind of stumped as it pertains to this verse, because I'm like, it just didn't quite make sense. But then as I went through and actually did a little analysis as to the culture that this would have been written into in, in, written into originally, it really enlightened me. Because what the author of Hebrews is saying in this moment is, a friend, and I would add into it, a spiritual friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Here's another thing. Saying there's a difference between a friend and a family member. A family member has to love you. A friend chooses to love you. 
A friend is going to be compelled, or excuse me, well, a family member is going to be compelled to step in because, ah, we're family, I guess I'll help you move. You're moving again, good grief. You moved three times to my one time. My back's still sore from two years ago when you moved. Could you just settle? That's kind of the posture of maybe a family member who's just like, oh, I've just got to be there. But yet when a friend is there, a friend says, well, of course I'll help you move. Of, of course I'll help you do that, that work around your house. Of course I'll cook you a meal. I mean, you just got out of the hospital. Of course I would do that. Where a family member thinks, oh, here we go again. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. What's so compelling about this passage, too, is this. In their culture, their idea of family was so much more saturated than ours. The, the American, the Western way of doing family is this. And I'm not, I'm not saying this is good nor bad. I can give you my opinion later, but I'm not trying to give you my opinion now. In the Western world, the idea of growing up is we raise our kids to a certain age that they move out of our house, and then we just kind of take back, take back, excuse me, step back and take a different role in parenting and allow our kids to just go live their lives and make all their own choices. That's the Western way of doing it. So we, we shape our kids in a way to, hey, make good decisions, hang around good people, you know, stay away from those who are going to take you to bad places, blah, 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 all, all the things that we parents tell our kids, which are all true. Amen? All those things. And yet, that's the Western way of doing it, of saying, all right, you turn 18, you went to college, you got out of college, get a job, get your own house, get your own life, get your own cars, and, and I'm, I'm not going to fund your lifestyle anymore. And that's kind of the American way, the Western way of doing things. In this culture... All important decisions were made through family. Even when that child became an adult. If there was an important decision that was to be made, it would go back to the family. Because the family would know that individual better than anyone else on earth. It's a complete shift in between our culture and their culture. So in Proverbs 17, 17, it says a friend loves at all time and a brother is born for adversity. There's also showing this in their culture. It's like, what are you talking about? Because family is everything. We don't do anything without, without all of the family making decisions. We do all these things within a family. And he says, and the author of Hebrews is saying, yes, and there's also limitations with that. There's also limitations with that. Because a family is going to be there because they're compelled to be there, but a friend is going to be there because they love you at all times. Different way of looking at it. And once you, you dig into the context in that culture, then you start to understand, wow, this is a lot deeper truth than what we may see on the surface. Spiritual friends are informed by the love of God, and they're formed to love others in the way that Jesus loves them. Spiritual friends are informed by the love of God, informed to love others the way that Jesus loves them. I invite you to open up your Bible to John 15. We're going to spend some time here. Probably spend the most time on this passage. These are the words of Jesus in John 15, verse 9 through 17. We're going to draw some of these truths 
and how Jesus talks about friends and also talks about uh, the path that these spiritual friends should be on. So John 15, verse 9 starts out with the main idea we're trying to get across here. Jesus said, I've loved you even as the Father loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands and you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you may be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. You are now my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus begins. He says, I have loved you even as the Father loved me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I modeled what true love is and the same love that you're supposed to exhibit, what you're supposed to add into other people around you. Love others the way that I've loved you. And they had a front row seat for years of ministry. They had a front row seat to this love. That Jesus invited the, the, the disciples before they became the apostles and he says, come follow me. This was an invitation of Jesus. This wasn't the will of man. This is with the will of God inviting people to this journey of discipleship with him. This is still how Jesus works today. The pathway here, he says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Remain. That word also means stay. Stay. I was thinking of this illustration yesterday morning. Remember when I was a, a kid and we were at a department store and it was, I don't know which department store it was, it was one of the big department stores and it had the, the big round clothes racks. You know what I'm talking about? It's like big round clothes racks. Some of you ladies, you know what I'm talking about? Guys, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, so you know what I'm talking about, the, the round racks. And, and, and again, I, it was a long, long time ago when I was a little kid and and we were around these, these racks, and I was there with my stepmother, and I think my brother was there too, but I'm not really sure. And, and, and I think maybe even my dad was there, and uh, again, it's really fuzzy, but, but all I know is we're at this department store, and I'm there, and they're looking through clothes, and I'm a kid, and I'm absolutely bored. I mean, I'm bored, and there's nothing there of interest to me. I don't care about clothes. I, I didn't even care to wear them back then. I mean, it was just, it was one of those things. And so, so I remember that, that I'm just really bored, and I remember just wandering away from where they were, and then I was in the middle of the clothes rack, around clothes rack, so I'm right in the middle. And I'm probably like, it's probably like hide-and-go-seek. I don't know, maybe I was like envisioning that I was in a cave. I have no idea. I don't know what was going on. Maybe I was Jesse James. I don't know, Merrimack Caverns or something. I don't even know, but it was like the weirdest thing. So I'm in the middle. Well, then they leave, Right? I don't know that they've left because I'm having the time of my life because all of a sudden I found something to do. 
So they're there, and, and then I kind of lost track of them. They lost track of me, and then they, they went across the department store. And then once I stepped out of Merrimack Caverns or whatever it was that I was envisioning, then I had kind of that uh-oh moment like, oh, I done did it now. I, like, they're gone. I, like, I'm the only one. And just that fearful moment. Who's ever had that fearful moment? Maybe you've lost a child, maybe on purpose. I don't know. Maybe you just you, could have happened. I don't know. We'll talk about repentance in a minute. Um, but we, we've, we've probably had this moment, or you were either in this moment as a parent or as, as a kid, and it's just that frantic moment, is it not? To where you're like, then all of a sudden, the mind gets really fuzzy. You don't even know, you don't even know what to think. You, don't know, you're like, you, you think worst-case scenario, and then you're looking around frantically. I thought about that because I think sometimes those of us, although we know we're supposed to remain in God's love, sometimes we just wander away from God's love and there's comfort and there's support and there's love and there's, there's salvation, there's hope, there's peace, there's all these things within Jesus and within the Father's love. And then sometimes, even as God's kids, we wander away from the Heavenly Father and we wander away from the Son and then we, we go out and we don't remain with Him. Instead, we kind of go our own way and try and envision our own future. Where it's us who wanders away from God and, and peace and hope and love and security. In Jesus, he says to, to his disciples and to us today, he says, I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Don't wander away. Don't let your curiosity cause you to walk away from the truth. Remain in my love. Stay in my love, Jesus says. He says, when you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy, Jesus says. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, Jesus says, if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I've told you everything the Father told me. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. We need to love others the way that Jesus loves us. Need to live in the reality that Jesus laid down his life for our friends. And friends here means the inner circle. It's not just some, you know, inviting you to be some part of like some friend group of, of somebody who just has hundreds and hundreds of friends. Or even in, in a lesser form, like Facebook friends, which means they're probably not your friends, Right? Not true friends. What Jesus is implying here, he says, meaning the inner circle, or maybe even a friend at court who would stand up and give testimony for you, or maybe even like the best man at a wedding. It's these deeper connections that Jesus is making reference to. 
I want to summarize this part with saying this. We are socially and spiritually shaped by family and friends. Early in life, we're shaped primarily by family, and later, we're primarily formed by friends. So who we surround ourselves with is important. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, a brother is born for adversity. We are socially and spiritually shaped by family and friends, 100%. Early in life, we're shaped primarily by the family who's around us the most. And then later in life, we're, we're shaped primarily by the friends that we have. Just because this tends to be serious, don't think that spiritual friends, that all you can do is get around and sing spiritual songs and hymns and share scripture and, and pray together. That, all of those things are great. But I want to give you some freedom here because I think when we talk about spiritual friends, it, it's understanding that there's all sorts of areas of life that we need to have friends invited into. So the next thing on your card is spiritual friendships play together and they pray together. That means you can have a barbecue. Amen. You can eat some smoked brisket. I recommend you do that. It's good. It's not manna, but man, it's close. It's close. Cooked just right. Spiritual friendships are absolutely, you're growing to be, you know, you're on the same path growing towards Christ-likeness. But that also means that there are times where you just play together. You just have some fun together. You go bowling together. You go out to eat together. You have a cookout at your house together. You go catch a cardinal game together. Or go catch a, a, it's hard for me to say, a cup game together. Uh, you know, it's, you go do that stuff. You just do that stuff together. It doesn't mean that everything is, is so serious and all you can do is talk about Scripture because there's all sorts of areas and facets of your life that you need to invite spiritual friends into. I've done a lot of work with men, and I know that we, we as men, it takes a long on-ramp of these just kind of casual conversations before you land upon a spiritual one. There's nothing wrong with that. Just make sure that you get to the spiritual one or else they're probably not spiritual friends. This also means that friends, being friends over the long haul. Next big idea is we're going to talk about trusted wounds from a spiritual friend. Trusted wounds from a spiritual friend. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. That's Proverbs 27.9. Proverbs 27.6 says this, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. This is prophetic because the enemy that multiplies kisses, what does that draw to mind? It draws, draws to mind that Jesus was betrayed with a kiss by Judas. That's what it draws to my mind. But wounds from a friend can be trusted. Why is it that they can be trusted? It's because spiritual friends you have decided to link together to grow more more and like Christ. So there are going to be words. There are going to be circumstances. There's going to be opportunity. for. There's going to be stories. There's going to be illustrations. There's going to be coffee together. There's going to be meals together. There's going to be all of these times together as you guys are working to equip one another to stay on the same path. And the path is to be like Jesus Christ. That's why you can trust their words. 
their words and their wounds. Most of the wounds from a friend are words. Some of us have misapplied this truth, and we, and we maybe were challenged by it. Maybe our ego was challenged by it so much. Our pride was challenged by it so much where we didn't know what to, what to do. So, so in other words, we just kind of puffed ourselves up and said, oh, I, can't, I can't even believe they just said that, this thing to me. And maybe they were actually sent by God to bring that truth in that moment to keep you on the path. Because maybe... Your will and your choices are about to lead you off the path. And God sent a messenger by way of a spiritual friend to say, this is where you need to be. This is what you need to do. This is who you need to be around. That's why those those wounds can be trusted. It's because someone you have decided up front, you've made a commitment to grow with one another. Spiritual friendships share the same values. They share the same values. It's the same values. It's reminded of another proverb, Proverbs 27, 17, and it says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We're sharing the same values. When you're sharpening metal, you're, you're taking two pieces of metal, taking two pieces of iron, you're striking them together. Both are impacted by the strikes. Both are impacted. It's not just one sharpening the other. That's, that's like a mentorship. That's not this. This is spiritual friendship. It's, it's striking one another, iron sharpening iron, as, so one man sharpens another. Each one is refined. Each one is, is sharpened over time. I'll illustrate it in this way. And hopefully I don't cut my finger off in the process. So this is a knife, right? You all can see this. This is a knife. Everybody see this at home? This is a knife. If this blade is dull, does it stop becoming a knife? Somebody help me? No. But if this blade becomes dull... It becomes ineffective. As we look at Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This is not talking about justification. This is talking about sanctification. This is not talking about what what makes you saved. This is talking about once you're saved, how to make our lives grow to be more like Christ. As iron sharpens iron, one person striking another so that one man sharpens another. In other words, we share the same value and now we're going to use words and opportunities where we're going to speak the truth in love to one another to refine ourselves because we're not going to stop becoming Christians, but we're going to do what we are going to do is we are going to become more like Christ as Christians. That's sanctification. Here's, here's one thing that gets us mixed up as it pertains to friendships. Sometimes we think friendships are just people we can just be ourselves around. Who's heard that before? Who's heard it? I'm not saying you agree, but who's heard it, right? Most of us. Here's the thing that's different about spiritual friendships. Spiritual friendships are not just to be yourself. They equip you to be a better self. 
They're not there so you, they, that you can just say whatever you want to and just clear your mind and just say things indiscriminately. No, no, no. Spiritual friendships, they come alongside you, not, to, not so you can just be yourself, but to equip you to be a better self. And I have a hunch. Every person who's listened to this message and those who will never hear this message could all benefit from spiritual friends. Because there's going to be a day, you've already had these days, but there's going to be a day in your future where you're about to make a decision and you think it's right. You're convinced that it's right. But it's actually wrong. And I know that that time in the future, that if you're about to make the wrong decision, we could all benefit by of already having people next to us to say, hey, that's not who God wants you to be. That's, I don't believe that that's going to honor God. That's, you're not going to be following through with the commitment of Scripture. You're not living in obedience to the Word of God. And these people are showing you that they love you as a spiritual friend. We all could benefit by having people like this. But here's the big question. Do you have anybody who can actually tell you the truth about you? Do you have anyone? Do you have anyone that you've given permission to that they would, if they were to see something in your life, to, to tap you on the shoulder, to text you, to call you, knock on your door, schedule a lunch, that you've given permission ahead of time to say, hey, is everything good? Because I see this thing, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I see this thing that doesn't appear to be right. And I think this may be taking you off path. Can we talk about it? Do you have anyone who's close enough, who you've given permission to ask those questions? These are spiritual friends, which is why we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about them. And hopefully by the end of this, it'll change the way that you look at friends so that you can actually be the person that God wants you to be. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I'm so overwhelmed with your word. When you just say that greater love has no one than this, that one who would lay down his life for his friends. And you say, you are my friends if you do what I command. Oh, Jesus, help us to Help us to do what it is that you're commanding us to do. It's so easy to just go off our own desires, and it's so easy to go off of our flesh, and it's so easy to be fed off of the ways of the world, and it's so easy to fall into the temptation of the evil one and not to be the people you want us to be or do the things that you want us to do. And at times, Jesus, so help us because it seems so much easier to, to disobey than actually obey. So Jesus, as we respond to what we've heard today, maybe there's somebody in the room who is just struggling. Maybe they don't have anyone to speak truth into them. And maybe they're, they just need to take some more time and pause and pray and, and just ask you to show them who that person is. And I also know that maybe there's a person in the room right now who they've actually had a spiritual friend who's been tapping them on the shoulder for quite some time now. 
And they've been trying to schedule an appointment. They've been trying to schedule a time to have lunch or have coffee. And there's been some avoidance. They've been running away. They've been hiding. Jesus, lead them back to that spiritual friend. Jesus, show, show us more and more how you've loved us so that we can love others the way that you love us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand. You know, spiritual friendships are a, they're a great and helpful thing. But if you don't know Jesus, that isn't even relevant to you. So we're going to respond by singing, but I, I want you to know that there's an invitation for you. If maybe there's something in you that you just feel like you need to respond to God. Maybe you can't even find the words. Maybe there's just something so deep in you that you just maybe sense that God wants to do something spiritually and you've never even had a spiritual encounter with Jesus. I believe that in this moment, what he could be doing is he could be drawing you to himself and he's saying, he's saying, hey, come follow me. Commit your life to me. Be cleansed from your sins. Experience my mercy. I'm gonna take away that pain, that that, that the grief for your sin and maybe your response is coming forward to ask him to come into your life for anyone else I, I don't know what it is that you're struggling with what it is that God is, is doing right now I sense that he's doing something big in your life but I want you to know that the altar is open we'd love to pray with you encourage you to cheer you on to help you stay on the path amen